names that were either stated directly or implied in some of the things that were said about Jesus, this baby that Mary was having. And as we looked, as we have looked at these names, uh, we have seen he's been given the name Jesus. He's been given the name Son of the Most High. He's been given the name the Son of David, indicating his kingship. And we'll see the fourth name that we're looking at today. From Luke chapter 1, reading verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for this record sought out, written out, preserved, kept for us that we might, we might look back and see what you have done in history, to look back and see what you have done in the lives of men and women that have such significance that 2,000 years later it's still impacting us. And we would pray that you would open your word to us, that you would teach us, that we would see just who this child is who has been given to us. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there are names that are given to us when we are born. And those names are registered legally. And those names just are carried with us. Um, often, some, well, sometimes it's not the name that we're called by. You know, that becomes our proper name, our formal name. In my case, some of you may know, my formal name is Carl. I go by my middle name. I chose to do that when I went to college. I just felt it suited me better. <clears throat> so, there are names then that we'll sometimes take up for ourselves because of how we perceive ourselves. But sometimes 
there are names that are given to us that uh, stick with us, right? Names that others think are suitable about what they know about us. I have a friend that I worked with in a science lab. I worked in a science lab for about six or eight months, and he was somebody I got to get to know, and his name was, his formal name was Kurt. Kurt loved to play sports. He especially loved to play basketball, and I'd go and shoot baskets, but when he really got intense in a game, I sat on the side, and I just kind of watched. And for the longest time, I thought they called, they, see, they nicknamed Kurt Rock, and for the longest time, I, th- I thought they nicknamed him Rock because he was so stable and so pivotal for the team. And I believed that for a good number of weeks. And finally, one day, I asked one of his friends, why do you call him the Rock? And his answer to me was, have you seen him out on the basketball court? This guy cannot jump. We've tried to teach him how to spring up closer to the hoop. He can't do it. And we used to shout, jump, Rock, jump. Of course, he couldn't jump. And so we just... It's just stuck. We now just call them rock. So some names are given to us based upon a characteristic that others see in us. Throughout his life, this child, Jesus, increasingly showed himself to be of such a quality of character that later when he asked his disciples who they thought he was, they replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And they said this not because that's what he wanted them to say, but that's what they saw in him. That's what they saw in him. This is exactly what the angel is indicating. He shall be called son of God. It was a name that was, as it were, expected, anticipated, but it's not specifically a name that his mother or his father were supposed to call them, his stepfather. But it's because of all of the loveliness and the beauty and the character and the personalness and the care and the compassion of eternal deity found in him that they said he was the son of God. These things are qualities that should be found in us as well, since we are image bearers of the true God, but we are deformed, corrupted, blind, perverted. All those qualities of deity that are seen in him that we now lack are given to us in him. That's where we would get them. One of the things that, uh, one of the quotes that I have is collected from Ken Myers, who used to be the program director for All Things Considered on National Public Radio. And his comment was this, the church's central fact is a person, not a proposition. Truth made flesh, a man in history, thereby transforming both humanity and history's trajectory. That transformation, that change of trajectory in humanity would come for the reason that he was more, this child was more than just a man. His humanity was real. 
He really cried. He really needed his diaper changed. He really needed to be fed. But because in his humility, his condescension, his mercy, and his compassion, he reveals to us all those perfections that belong to the living God. And so my encouragement is that we would be people who rejoice and adore God through this child. We need this holy son of God because he brings to us the revelation of these, these perfections that we should have, that we need. In our fallenness, we no longer see clearly what we were made to be, but in him we see those perfections. And because of this humility and condescension, he reveals to us that we need to be moved to him and rejoice in him always. <clears throat> Let us rejoice in what he reveals. To see this more clearly, I, want, I would like us to see God in the Old Testament. I would like to get us to get a glimpse of him. The fullness of deity is revealed in the Old Testament. Because that's what's taking place, the fullness of deity in this child who is born, who brings to us redemption. When we look at how God interacts with his people in the Bible throughout history, we see certain things that move us to rest and adoration. His very name, God, Elohim, in the Hebrew, most often refers to him as the creator. More than 900 times the word, the name Elohim shows up in scripture the maker of all things, visible and invisible, as it says in the great Nicene Creed, composed in the year 325 and held onto by every true Christian church even today. He, God, Elohim, is the reason that there is something instead of nothing. And not only is there something instead of nothing, the something that has been made has been made well. The air that we breathe, the food that we eat, intended to sustain our bodies, intended to sustain us in life. He, God, Elohim, is the reason that there's something instead of nothing. He is the self-existent God. Nobody made him. He's always been. In all of his perfections and in all of his beauty, no one made him. He always has been and he's the everlasting God, referred to in scripture as El Olam, God who is everlasting, who was and is and is to come. He didn't create the heavens and the earth as just a mere existence, as a mere pile of stuff. He bestowed upon it beauty and wisdom of design with each thing doing its part in the overall life of the world. He made these things, these everyday things around us, wisely and well with a purpose that living things would produce more of themselves. Not only did he create things, he sustains things. He upholds them, keeping them alive, providing for them. As the psalmist says, setting boundaries of the oceans, directing the power of the storms, giving living things their food in their season. And as we look throughout the Old Testament, we see him as the great judge of men and nations. 
calling men and nations to alignment with his character, warning them when they have drifted from that, bringing them to nothing when they refuse to repent and to turn back to him. He is the great judge. And he judges because he's the right plumb line. He is the right measure. He does it in love and in holiness and in uprightness. He is a God who is more than just those transcendent kinds of things that we read about in Scripture. And because of his great transcendence and his great power, we could easily think of himself as a God who is aloof, far off, disinterested in the things that go on here. That's not the case. He's a God who is intensely personal, a God who is close, even beside you right now, whispering grace to you, listening to your thoughts, discerning who you are and what you need. He's a God who is close. Scripture says that he sees people. He's got the name El Roy, the God who sees and hears. And that was said by someone who was stuck out in the desert with her baby. And God came close and said, don't worry, I'm taking care of you and the child. God sees his people. He saw them as they were burdened in Egypt underneath their load. He hears his people. He hears their cries. He hears their praise. He feels the weight of their oppression, and he bends his ear to their prayers, even as I prayed a little while ago. He hears you. He hears you. However imperfectly you express your prayers, however without words you express your prayers, he's a God who hears. He is with his people in their struggles. He was with the three young men in the fiery furnace. He was with his people in their battles. He was with Daniel in the lion's den and kept the mouths of the lion closed. Whatever circumstance you are in, whether it's severe temptation and you're ready to collapse into it, whether it is the need for guidance, he is with you. He promises to be with you because he's a God who is with his people. He gives to them and bestows blessings so that they may in turn bless others. He knows us. He guides his people and is with his people. So when we, when we start seeing this name in this passage, he shall be called holy. He'll be called holy, the son of God. All of those things that we just talked about, about the majesty and the closeness, the transcendence and the personalness, the, the power and yet the, the tenderness, all of those things are found in this one person who was born, who we celebrate in the next couple of days. He's eternal God. He's God who sees think about the times when he was walking in the in the land and people were thinking things about him and he understood what they were thinking because he discerned it in them 
the times when people thought they were overlooked and they were seen, like the widow of Nain when she's coming out and her child had died and Jesus saw her and saw her sorrow and met her need in her sorrow. Seeing the man born blind, desiring to, desiring to see, and Christ taking mud again and almost recreating eyes for him by rubbing the mud on his eyes. He is God with us. This child is called the Holy Son of God because he bears the very stamp of the character of God. Christ bears the very stamp and the image, the very qualities of God, bringing them to us in the flesh. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says this, He is the image, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things. You are created through Christ. You are created for Christ. You have no business wandering around in life thinking that you can just do as you please. There's been a high price paid for you. You've been bought with a price. Your body is not even your own. Therefore, let us glorify God in our bodies. It is this holy child for whom all things were created. Every mountain, every star, every river and tree, every bird and beast. Everything is his and was made for him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Speaking of the glorious son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word of power. Everything we want to know about God and his ways is seen in Christ. Everything that we want to learn, if we want to hear the word of God, sometimes we look, we, we, want, we want skywriting. We want skywriting. What's your will, oh God? We look for some sign, some measure in the sky, when in fact what we find in Christ answers our question. He upholds all things. Everything we want to know about God is seen in him, unfolded through the rest of his life and death and resurrection. Even as he was suckling on his mother's breast, in his divinity, he was upholding and sustaining the whole universe. He was upholding and sustaining his mother who was feeding him. This is our majestic God. This is our humble God. In his weakest and most vulnerable, he was mighty to save even then. This is he whom angels adore and upon whom they wait to serve. He is purity and goodness and beauty and truth in the flesh. Oh, beloved, if this doesn't move us to adoration and wonder and worship, I have to ask what kind of cold hearts we have. How can we not be drawn to him in love and push aside the shallow demands of a system that wants more and more, a shallow system that wants more and more of our minds? 
What is it then that will move you outside of yourself to bow your heart and your knee to God? May this take our minds and our hearts captive to the place where it is the summit of our thought. May every song we sing of his love be lifted up out of heartfelt love and devotion to him. May every prayer we pray be born of a fire within us that wants to offer our lives in sacrifice to him. He is the revelation in the flesh of God's divine holy character. But he also reveals what we're supposed to be. He reveals what you and I are supposed to be. We need him. We need him as the Holy Son of God because we have long forgotten what we're supposed to be. We had long forgotten our true dignity as image bearers. We had become so darkened in our understanding and deformed in thought and action. In his life is revealed the perfections of humanity. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. His incarnation is our salvation. Is there any wonder why Simeon, when he came across this child in the temple, said, Nunc dimittis, now, Lord, dismiss me, for I have seen your salvation. Christ is our restoration. His holiness, this one who is truth in the flesh, who is beauty in the flesh, who is light to us and reveals to us what we need in ourselves. Namely, he reveals what we can be, what we can be. We've been taken captive by the evil one. Through the deception of Eve and the sin of Adam, we have been pulled away from the one who is our life. In our loss, we cannot recapture those qualities of holiness by which we may see God. But in this child, in this man, in this person who has come to us in the flesh, we see the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need God the Son because he says this, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Are we living the abundant life? That's what he's come for. He gives that abundant life to us, but not apart from him. He gives that abundant life to us, but not for us to wander off on our own. He gives that abundant life to us to walk with him and to taste and drink of our abundance from him. In John 3.17, we are told, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Many people ask, what is the purpose of my life and what do I exist for? You exist to display the character and qualities of your Lord. John 6 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Even as we had read for us from, from the uh, forgiveness of sins, from the pardon of sins, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. I lay my life down so that they may live. And I do it of my own accord. 
which then moves in us to respond as though we are being drawn to the warmth of the sun on a spring day. We respond the way the psalmist does. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And Philippians tells us, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so we are snatched out of the citadel of death and brought into the kingdom of life. We are snatched out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We are snatched out of captivity and brought into the wide fields of freedom and into the protection, under the protection of the Lord. Even as Robert Southwell, the poet, said in his poem, This little babe, so few days old, is come to rifle Satan's fold. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for cold do shake. For in this weak, unarmed way, the gates of hell will he surprise. Let us rejoice in what Christ has done for us. Let us rejoice. And that's a, that's a joy that has a multiplicity of expression, whether that be an, a verbal shouting out of amen or a quiet comfort of knowing that you belong to the Lord and that he is working good things in you. As the kings of old made every effort to find him and come before him to give him gifts, let us give him the gift of ourselves, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice of love and service, which is suitable for those who are redeemed. The manner in which we are drawn to warm sunlight after a cold winter, let us be drawn to this Christ to be invigorated to reflect his life in us. He came in humility. We can live with one another in humility. As he came to be compassionate and merciful, we can be compassionate and merciful to those around us. As he came to bear witness to the truth for our guidance and for our good, let us bear witness to the truth for the good of others. As the hymn writer has expressed, O holy child of Bethlehem, be born in us today. Beloved, if you, if you have not asked Christ to come into your heart and to live in you, and to be born in you. You may do that now. You may bow your heart and your head and ask Jesus to come in and to be born in you, to set you free from the powers of the evil one, to set you free from the powers of Satan, so that you may have this joy and this light and this life. With this name, Son of God, we have... And taken with the other names, the angels have revealed in speaking to Mary, the angel revealed in speaking to Mary, we have the full revelation of God's love toward us. Jesus, salvation is of the Lord. Don't look anywhere else. Jesus is salvation of the Lord. Son of the Most High, he who is supreme above and over all other things, comes to us in the most gentle and tender fashion, lest we be frightened away like skittish little sparrows. 
son of David, king, the one who has the right and the wisdom and the tenderness and the love to reign in righteousness forever over all men and women from all ages and all places. One king over all mankind because he's worthy to be king and son of God, beautiful creator, tender provider, present and personal, merciful and compassionate, loving us as his own and keeping us as his family. This child whom we celebrate <clears throat> at the height of the Christmas tide season is divinity and truth come to us in the flesh to be our captain, our king, our kinsman redeemer. In this, he remakes us to be more than we ever could have made ourselves to be. Let's pray together, shall we?